everyone. This is Carla Frank. I just wanted to share a little footnote with you before we get started to let you know that we recorded this podcast just before the lockdown in March. We're actually pretty surprised ourselves about how much of the content still feels relevant. So we hope you enjoy the show as much as we did making it. Hello, everyone. I'm Jose Reyes and the founder and creative director of Metal Leap Creative in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Carla Frank, founder of Carla Frank Creative, a strategic brand consultancy in New York City and Milan. And together, we're the co-chairs of the SPD 55th Annual Competition. Yes. I'm so happy to be here talking with you, Jose. Come on. We have a long history it's... of talking. This is so good. I know. So much talking. We go back. This goes back a very, very long time for us. In fact, I think I met you uh, at an SPD judging event way, way, way back when, when I was still working on Pace, and that was like in the early aughts. I think you're right. I don't know if you remember that. No, I absolutely remember because I loved Pace, and I think I told you that. And Mm -hmm. in fact, that's why I think you came on. I think I was co-chairing that year too. And Mm -hmm. I remember that you came to the judging and you didn't know many people. And I was, I was yeah. wanting to introduce you to a lot of people to our community and um, we all and had a lot of fun. Your, well, you took me under your wing and you were so kind to me. I mean, I think like that was, uh, that's sort of the community that I you know, walked into was just what you represented. And I think that's something that has always stuck with me and why I just, uh, I love this community. And as, and even though I'm in Atlanta, uh, you know, I try to do as much as I can and want to be involved in that um, is really because of, uh, I mean, your great kindness to me oh, way thanks. back when, Carla. Man, that's a nice, nice compliment. And it's always a great pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're, we have an amazing theme this year, which, why don't you say what that is? Yeah, well, uh, you know, as everybody knows by now, uh, the theme of this year's SPD 55 is the next space. And there's a lot that we've been thinking about that is involved in that um, in terms of sort of what what sort of happened in the past, present and future, and where's all this going? And what does it mean to be a publication designer now and into the future? And, you know, we're also going to bring in and talk a lot about sort of technology and uh, even branding, which I think is, you know, for Carl and I is a big part of what we do and also how we sort of interweave that into all of our publication projects. So there's a lot yeah. to talk about. And that's why we'd like to re- rename this episode, Who the F Will Do That? Because we're going to be talking so much about the future and the exactly. next phase. Yeah, but for, yeah. But first, we should introduce each other. All so right. Why, why don't I start with you? Let's do it. So, Okay, so formally, this is going to sound more formal, but I want to get everything in. So Jose is the creative director of MetaLeap Creative in Atlanta. After he earned his BFA from SCAD, he worked as a designer at several major advertising and design firms in the South before founding MetaLeap Creative in 2002. MetaLeap's brand clients are wide-ranging and eclectic, from pediatric hospital in Rwanda to Zoo Atlanta to the Salvation Army, Rock the Vote, and Musée Bath. MetaLeap's publication clients are equally wide-ranging, 
having helped launch the national music, film, and culture title Paste, which I loved, and redesigning the Washingtonian Magazine, St. Louis Magazine, Georgia Tech Alumni Magazine, In Touch Magazine, and last year's Best Redesign Winner at SPD Howler. Jose was born in Puerto Rico, raised in Turkey, Utah, New Mexico, and Florida, and his love and curiosity of just about everything keeps him traveling and searching for inspiration in the world around him. That's amazing. We have so much in common, but we'll get to that. That's right. Well, and Carla Frank is a creative director and strategic brand consultant. She advises her clients on brand strategy, innovation, launches, and content in areas of food, fashion, and health and wellness. Carla has also had many amazing professional adventures. She was the founding design director at O, the Oprah magazine, where she worked closely with Oprah Winfrey for almost nine years. In the world of food, she successfully co-founded a natural beverage company, led the turnaround team for Cooking Light magazine as creative director. She was also on the launch team of Savour magazine. Her experiences in fashion and luxury accumulated when she worked for Condé Nast titles such as Traveler, Glamour Italia, and Vanity Fair Italia. She travels at every chance, particularly to Italy, a culture she loves for its creativity and passion for food, fashion, design, and quality of life. I know that travel thing is really something we have in common. And mm-hmm. we have we have not only that, but we have both had Oprah encounters. We right. have Was- Washingtonian Magazine. I started my magazine career there, actually. Which is amazing. amazing. It is amazing. And then we both do custom publishing design. And we'd love to talk about, obviously, because you're going to hear us talk and talk and talk. We'd love to talk about design and the interconnectivity of all things. But first, I'd love to hear about your Oprah encounter. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, uh, it was uh, it was last year, or actually two years ago now, and uh, I graduated from Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah. And um, a couple of years ago, they asked me if, hey, do you want to um, come and speak at our uh, commencement in Atlanta in 2018? And, uh, you know, I was, like, really excited about that. And SCAD is notoriously... Um, hush hush on who shows up and who their special guests are. And so you never know who is going to, to show up. And I remember, vividly remember at our graduation, um, we had uh, Stan Winston from ILM. And so that was always, that was, that was a really big deal. And so I think SCAD has always done a great job of like just bringing in, in folks from all over the country, all over the world to come and speak. And so, um, so on that particular day in 2018, we, um, my family, I was very excited, my wife and my kids, we all went to um, the, uh, where it was going to be held and Georgia Congress Center in Atlanta. And, um, and we get into the green room and like people are excited and they're putting on their, their caps and gowns. You know, this is all very new and our kids are like, what's going on? And they're just sort of like wide eyed. And, and I uh, went over to the corner to put, sort of put my whole gown on and everything. And, uh, and I, came back over to sort of see the, the progression and sort of what was going to happen. And my wife came over to me and she's like, you are not going to believe who you're walking in with. And, uh, and so she started getting me really excited. So I went over the board, you know, and the, the room is just sort of like, there's a lot of electricity in the room and it's not a big room, you know, it's just really the folks who are walking. And so I went over to look at the board and, um, you know, the first people who are walking in are Paula Wallace, who's the president of um, and founder of SCAD. And then number two, right behind her, was me. 
And then I'm walking in with Oprah Winfrey. And I can't <laughs> tell you how crazy that was. I had, like never in my like wildest imagination would that have ever happened. And seeing that written in, you know, a uh, marker on this little whiteboard was really sort of surreal. And so the oh, funniest thing about- I got a shot of that. <laughs> oh, we do. We've got just great photos. She, she, ended up, she ended up coming in, you know, very close to where we had to walk. And so like immediately the room was just like, oh, you know, what's happening? And, um, and so, you know, photos were taken. And, um, and so that was just really nice. She was so delightful and uh, just meeting her and standing next to her and walking in with her. That was- you know, that was really crazy because nobody else in the whole like arena knew that she was going to be, you know, part of this. And so I'm literally walking with her from the green room into the main area and the music is going. And <laughs> as people are walking, watching us walk in, you can see her faces and they're like, they have to do a double take. And then everybody's phone starts coming out and it's the closest so thing cool. to celebrity that I've ever, you know, come up and rub up against. So well, and, really, and what, what a celebrity icon status. Oh, it was, it was kind of, it was, it was amazing. Um, but the funniest thing out of the whole thing was my kids were like, well, who's Oprah Winfrey? And <laughs> right, uh, so, so we had to, we had to explain the whole thing to them. So yeah, uh, that was really funny. And that was a great time. That's so, so cool. Uh, well, I, even though I worked with her for almost nine years, I always felt that way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had a, we had a lovely relationship in the office, and it was calm. You know, she has so much energy, but it was a mm-hmm. a calm, really friendly um, relationship. And I, of course, am a huge fan of hers. But <laughs> I would be reminded when we went out in public of her icon status, and it was mm-hmm. it was impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, whoa, that's right, that's uh-huh. right. I am with the Oprah Winfrey. She's in the house. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. Well, you kind of have to pinch yourself, right? Because you're like, is this all this coming at me or is this coming at this other person? Because <laughs> well, none of, you're, it, none of the, it was coming at me. <laughs> no, but you're surrounded by that. So, of course, you know, you uh, start getting uh, visions of grandeur and all those other things that come along with that. Oh, well, it was it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And, oh, sure. And, yeah. Let's talk about SPD and our our jobs as co-chairs and what we're looking forward to and, and the mm-hmm. theme. Let's get deeper into that. No, absolutely. Uh, so uh, I was asked earlier um, last year about uh, being a co-chair for SPD. And obviously I was like, yes, I have so much respect for Society of Publication Designers and just the, the heritage and the years and just all of the great people and designers and thinkers that have come through this. So it was really it was really an honor for me and like an immediate, yes, I got to do this. This would be just a blast. And so, um, you know, I just really felt like, uh, first honor to, to be asked to do this, but also, you know, what am I going to, should I be doing this? You know, <laughs> do I really have something here to add to this? Um, and this sort of like storied, um, history. And so, um, you know, immediately like, I'm, I just thought to myself, well, I mean, I've got to talk to Carla um, oh, and I just, and would love to do this with her. And so, um, you know, I think really representing SPD, uh, you know, we want to continue in the excellence and uh, just the work that's being uh, shown and curate that really well. And, and in the end, you know, be able to show for all the work that we're doing um, just an amazing amount, uh, curate amazing amount of, of work 
that's been produced. Yes. And the theme, the next space, which, which I think is perfect for us because we've, mm-hmm. we've done a lot of publication work and we love it and identify with SPD as our community. I really have always mm-hmm. felt that about SPD and I, I just love publication designers and editors and there's something about the type of person that's in editorial that is smart and quick and curious and ha- you know they they editors in particular have access mm-hmm. to a huge amount almost anybody you'd want to meet in the world like one degree right. separated right and so we we're allowed to have one foot in of the world of the magazine that we're um publishing whether it's a travel magazine or a food magazine or a news magazine and one foot out in our own little world and it's kind of a it's an absolute privilege um Mm -hmm. and also again that the crowd of people that surround this profession are delightful and funny and freewheeling and and we move fast because we have to we're on on crazy deadlines all the time so yep. there's, it's, it's a prolific amount of work and I just have a tremendous amount of respect for all these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next phase, that's uh, an idea that we came up with because all of, all of our platforms are changing so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, why don't you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's so much happening right now just as an industry. And I mean, you and I have been this for a, a while now and, you know, there are a lot of you know, uh, new faces here. And so they may not have been around for, you know, at least watching the last 20 years, kind of what's been, what's been happening. And so, you know, I think working at independent magazines and sort of national titles, there's, they're all trying to solve a lot of the same things just in their own space and in their own channel. And they, as you and I have talked about this offline, it seems that we're all really trying to solve this idea of how do we how do we communicate in, in a changing landscape and do the same thing that we've been doing fully for millennia, which is connecting people, creating communities, um, uh, sharing very thoughtful, creative ideas in and around subject matter that is interesting, that's changing, that's new, that's changing the world. And so uh, how do we stay connected? You know, how do, we, how do we keep our audiences coming back and invested in that? And that, I think, is really that's an ongoing thing. That's our greatest challenge. And so while technology has changed, I feel like that's, that's sort of been our number one thing. I mean, wouldn't you say? Yes. And I think one of you, you kind of touched on this. One of the problems that happened about either lagging behind technology in, in print, just staying in print was there's just so much work to do. You could, mm-hmm. you know, there was, you could barely look up from your desk to say, <laughs> bring on the next project. But now we have to, and we're mm-hmm. all doing that. And so the the thinking and doing is uh, much more fractured. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, very different experience. Um, and, you know, the words done is good is what I hear a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's somewhat good and somewhat bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but deep, deep thinking will never be replaced for strategy, for communication for uh, communicating on a variety of platforms as well. Mm-hmm. And I, th- you know, you mentioned to keep doing what we're doing. And, and if I can just boil that down even more, it's storytelling. Mm-hmm. We, we're telling stories visually with writers, with editors, and 
really getting this the eyeballs because of how we present um, the visuals, the storytelling mm-hmm. in that regard. And, and that's a big fight these days to get those eyeballs. Um, right, it always right. was to get, you know, because people be turning the pages of a magazine and then you have, you think to yourself, why would they posit this article? And, mm-hmm. and you have to keep asking yourself through the lens of that brand, how you can get them to do that. And mm-hmm. now with such fractured attention, it's obviously become more difficult um, and more challenging. And that's why the next space is really important. We all need yeah. to explore. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And technology has changed. You know, I think that we can sit around and sort of uh, oh, bemoan when we're all able to uh, move at a little bit of a slower pace, um, even though I think we still had a lot to do before the onset of social media and even having a website or doing all the things that take that take to support those things. And so there was still a ton to do then as it is now. And so um, I think we really do need to figure out how are we going to navigate this space? And I think sometimes maybe technology is viewed as, as the answer to that um, or based being able to track, you know, user uh, click throughs and how are people actually navigating the, 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 the stories and being able to uh, help better define what kind of stories we need to write. And, um, you know, I think all those are still very true and very important things that we need to solve for what this next space is. But, you know, you and I both talk some about what does that what does that mean when we have audiences that are like looking for deeper connection? And I think we've 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 see that in some of the things that, you know, in our past experiences and experiences that we're having right now and even some of the um, things that we want to talk about that are upcoming. Um, right. And maybe that right. maybe that's a good transition point to starting to talk about this past, present, future idea that you and I were talking about, and yes. how it's connected to the next space. Yes. And the funny thing is, when we were talking about that offline, um, we were saying future has had a past, a present, and a future. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about the fact that we might have only been doing one thing, we had different technology then, so it really took our attention to do that one thing in one in the way we did it. Now we can move a little faster and accommodate more things because of technology. So that was the future 10 years ago or mm-hmm. you know, 15 years ago. And now we're, which is now the past. Right. <laughs> and the present is now what we're obviously living in. And then, but embracing the future at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think that obviously the, the challenge is, is that technology is moving fast. That's not a news headline, but the point is then how to keep up with it and, what will those trends be that mm-hmm. that help us figure out how to use it best? Right, so, right. Well, and is it yeah. okay? I mean, I think, like, is it okay to embrace technology up to a certain point and then say, you know, we're not going to do these things? Um, and that's how we're going to, that's going to be our stance. That's going to be our posture towards, you know, our audience. And, you know, knowing your audience, I think, is is really key and sort of their expectations and, um, you know, I think it's okay, especially when you're working with sort of independent publishers, um, that they, you know, they may not have access to resources as much as a, as a larger organization. So they've got to really pick and choose what's going to work best for them. Yes. And also that's a great point because who we are not as a brand is part of brand strategy too. Mm-hmm. And, and this whole idea now of, again, capturing the, the perfect audience for your brand mm-hmm. is a lot about niching down to who we are and who we are not. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, you know, some of the trends that we're going to talk about uh, will make these brands more effective. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. Like you're, you've, you've sort of slowly switched your language a bit because we're already, you and I are already talking about like brand language. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important part of perhaps our view of what we've been doing and how we bring that into our work and how that is beneficial to all of our clients, not just publication, but our brand clients too. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear more about like some of those experiences, like how have those, um, as you focused on branding projects, how those experiences like grown your skill set? you know, what are you able to bring to your work, uh, because of that, you know, and, and maybe just expand on some of that. Sure. I'd love to. And I think, you know, in my case, a lot of the launches and repositionings I've done require you to pull back to the satellite view at the very beginning and pull all of the pieces back together or pull them together for the first time. And so the filter that you create and the um, meaning, I mean, if you just break that down, what is, what is the filter? The filter is Mm -hmm. if, if you're O magazine, you're, um, basing the look and feel on the audience you want to achieve, um, the person who's representing the brand, what she represents. And then um, if we were going for uh, a different audience than her TV show at that time. So how do you spin that in a new way? And so in my case, mm-hmm. in that, in the development of O Magazine and at its finest moments, it really developed a new channel that was a happy sophistication Mm-hmm. Um, and that required, you know, sophistication sometimes used to mean edited sparseness and black and white. And, <laughs> right, and so right, we yeah. were full of color and abundance. And, mm. and so that was a change of the dial. And, um, but the language was so important too, to raise that right. bar and the expectations and bring that whole thing together. And that right, came from right. some of the genius editors that I worked with. Mm. But that, so that, um, took a great deal of experimenting and mm-hmm. um, buy-in, obviously. So you're pulling back and you're doing this branding work, essentially. And yep. and so then, you know, you're. We, I wasn't taught branding, but I was always taught from from the very beginning of my college education and in, in design how to think rather than how to mm-hmm. decorate. And right. so That's that great. came first, and I and. Lanny Samiz, my professor, is probably one of the most influential people in my life. And he was just beating that into us all the time, hammering in points of difference. Are you solving problems? Are you creating problems? Are you, mm-hmm. how are you, um, how are you positioning uh, this project? And everything else was extraneous until you got that right. Totally. And so, yeah. And so that led me, I think, I'm, uh, I'm just like you. I'm such a naturally curious person. I was very curious about the business side too and how, how mm-hmm. it all worked together. And I think partly because my father was an engineer and mm. my mother was an athlete. I had this, kind of, this combination <laughs> of perfect influences on design and how do things work? The, that question uh-huh. all the time. How do they function? What does a well-oiled machine look like? So in my engineering training for my father was I was always looking for the holistic health of a Mm -hmm. company. And so that requires marketing sales, 
mm-hmm. everybody to really be checking in with each other and getting along and um, making sure that the brand is moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. There are always bumps and glitches and, and different parts of the personality of a brand being pushed out, which is good. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you need to maintain that brand yeah. uh, manifesto, if you will. And so well, that's a little mm-hmm. bit of... Well, I mean, you've, there's a lot. You've you've really put together a lot in a very little bit amount of time, and a couple of things that are really that really stood out to me. I think that are really important as we continue this conversation, and I think that um, you guys out there are going to be hopefully tracking along with is that as we look at past, present, and future, and like the next space, you know, the next space, as you were saying, Carla, is this holistic place that really has to take into account all of these different sort of gears like these you have we have to be multidisciplinarians we have to have we have to be seeing in all of these different like in 4d really and there's a certain amount you said something that i thought was was really good and maybe we don't get enough we don't spend enough time with that because we're always looking for statistics or ways to sort of back up or vet our decisions and you were talking about experimenting and Mm -hmm. I think that experimenting is often not looked upon as being necessary, but really as that's dangerous. And I think that's a, a huge innovation um, and a way that we can be really innovative and in thinking about like this next space. Like, um, uh, what do you think about that? Does that, I mean, does that make sense or? Oh, totally, totally. In fact, a little, you know, a little further into this, I'd love to get into innovation because that's partly what I'm doing for clients now is helping them build a culture around innovation, which is experimentation and Mm -hmm. how to be really, really constructive with that. And so, um, and I think, you know, backing up into the magazine experience, part of what got me into that or interested in that was seeing the lack of communication between digital and print early on when the two were in this, finally made it into the same building. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. why are we not communicating? Why is there not one lead manifesto? Why does one look so look and sound so different from the mm-hmm. other? Mm-hmm. And at that point, the, the print was the heart and soul of the brand. Now the manifesto and the personality and the branding is the heart and soul of the brand. Mm-hmm. So they all have to function together seamlessly and that's the best case scenario at least. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if that answers that, I'll get into, get into that a little bit more. And I, I'm kind of interested in your experience with that too, because you've done the same. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what your experience uh, yeah. has been like. Well, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, we all get into this in sort of these weird little ways. Like one of our, uh, our associate creative director here at Meta Leap, like he, he just knew at an early age that, magazines were going to be his thing like that was it and i i never thought about that in fact i didn't really i didn't even know what sort of graphic design was until i kind of went to scad um i knew that it was something that i wanted to do um or i knew i knew something about it and i admired it but i didn't really know what it was and so you know me coming to this world is a much later experience but um you know, when I was in college, I worked on this magazine called Contents that was based out of Savannah. And it was like, I think it had, it, it literally rung all of my bells. Like it was beautiful. 
it was thoughtful. It had like poetry in it. It was great photography. It was experimental. And it was like, it was like the best case scenario to get into the, the public, publication design world. And it was really a dream. And I had no idea at the time what a dream it was. And there was somebody else who was sort of pulling all the levers, but I got to work on this thing and uh, it was really kind of amazing. And then I graduated from school and then I worked in some different agencies and, and did agency life and kind of knew immediately, like, this is not my game. Like, I can't, I can't <laughs> Me <too>. live here. <laughs> Another um, thing we have in common. I know, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and I was like, there's no way I'm not, I, I can't do this. And so I got into a smaller design firm where it was really about, it felt to me, and I, and this was my experience, but it felt like I got to become more, it got to, things got more, a little more personalized. We kind of got to know our clients. Uh, we had more interaction with them. Think we weren't sort of siloed and we didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was part of a much, like a, this sort of bigger machine. And so I felt like those experiences early on where I got sort of dumped right into this like uh, I have no idea what's going on, but somehow or another, they're listening and they're wanting my opinion, and I'm just like soaking. I'm soaking all this stuff in, and it was like, you know, working for kind of Fortune 500 companies and doing like print stuff for them, and like so immediately having to soak in like how to think about this work and how to how to do sort of brand related things before I even knew sort of what branding was, and so I think over the years it's been like okay, now I understand what we're working at and what we're doing. And then, <laughs> and then it was like, oh, and then how do I think about that in the context of sort of like a magazine? And, you know, how do we even sort of define what an independent magazine and kind of a brand magazine is? And I think that gets to some of the heart of like branding too, because, you know, um, for SPD, we, you know, we've defined an independent magazine as a publication for which a person or people are responsible for the magazine's content and the design uh, and or the design and responsible and that person is also responsible for financial decisions and then so that's an independent magazine and then a brand magazine is a magazine published to promote a brand business organization um and i've been thinking yeah, like, about like that. goop like goop and airbnb yeah, and alumni yeah, magazines yeah, yeah. and trade magazines and, totally yeah. mm -hmm. and as i've been thinking about that i've been trying to like tease that out some more because i feel like there's like a this soul there that we're trying to get at especially as a you know working in, in sort of forming this small design studio which is like you know i'm all about you know sort of the soul of things and thinking that really i think an independent magazine is i mean it's about itself but i mean that in like the most positive sense that it's concerns for the world it's creating. Um, there's this conversation that it's fostering, um, you know, kind of how it articulates its aesthetic vision. And so in some ways it's a little more of like, it's this pure, this pure expression. Um, well, I'd love to just add there because I think you hit on a great point. Like what is the difference between magazine branding versus selling mm -hmm. a CPG brand or a consumer package good that's CPG so one of the one of the greatest joys of putting together a magazine is that it's a journey you if, mm -hmm. if you're doing it really well you're creating an entire experience from front to back with pacing in mind like a movie there's mm -hmm. a, a, a bit to get you in and then you know the the feature length films and then um, a lead out and 
it's there's a true mm-hmm. art to that. That's yeah, a very yeah. big difference between setting a brand um, and setting the tone of a brand, and it lives separately on all these channels. It can have mm-hmm. personality, but you're you're hitting it in a very different way because you're hitting it at these staccato touch points. Mm, yeah, and so yeah. that the joy of that that full on creation with you know the troop of actors as as I used to like to call it <laughs> every month the same troop we're putting on a show again you know yeah yeah it, yeah it, it's really impressive and it's highly collaborative which I love mm-hmm. and and there were no clients you, you right. I mean it's different in a in a custom publishing or or a trade magazine but usually. I've had great experiences in those where they become your troop as well. Yeah, but, right. um, but, but it's a very different experience. And, and that's probably one core thing that we all, those of us who have left the towers mm-hmm. all miss. It, it, it's a beautiful, mm. beautiful thing. And working mm-hmm. with some exceptionally smart people. Right. Right. Well, I would, uh, I would say that, you know, when we're working on sort of these independent titles that there is a sense now that, you know, when we put our sort of brand hats on and as we look to the future, we talk about the next space so much. I think of what we're bringing, the value that we're bringing to them and kind of what I tell our team all the time is that, I mean, design, a lot of people can design. And really, I think what our clients are really paying us for and value the most is how are we solving their problems and right. how are we doing that day in and day out? And then we get to sort of the, the nut of exactly how that expresses itself. And I, I know everybody here is like, yes, 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 get to the point. And I think that, you know, we, I think we, lose, we can lose sight of just sort of how powerful that really is um, of an idea. Um, because I think problem we, it, solving for clients? Well, I, or? Think, I, think, I think the problem solving or we just think that there has to be something more to it. And I think that sometimes maybe we oversimplify what we're bringing. And I think what we bring is a lot and, um, and how much value that has. And so when we think about a magazine, like a brand, and as we look to the next space, you know, you and I were talking about, um, essentially magazines and organizations that are really like when we talk about the Airbnb or, um, even an organization like Goop, that they're really creating relationships with their audience. And it's more than that. There's almost like a, I get to know this person. I get to know, I, I know who, what's going on here. And I think that is so valuable, especially in a time now where we, we sort of are hoping for connection, whether through social media or communities, online communities, but, um, and where that's our expectation. I think that's a really powerful place for where we're, we're heading. I agree. Um, and, and if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you some more nuts and bolts questions about yeah, your, yeah fabulous design company um when you when you're de- redesigning a magazine like georgia tech mm-hmm. how do you approach that with your client do you i mean do you say uh, well i know how i know what i do but do you do, do you say do you say um we need you know let's look at the organization of things first but right yeah love to hear from you oh yeah i mean this is where we put our sort of brand head on and we come at it with, we want to know as much as we can about who you are and before we ever get to what are the challenges that you're facing as a magazine. 
And so what we'll end up doing in, in all of our engagements is we'll spend up to a couple of days like on site all day talking to every single stakeholder, um, every sort of uh, every every sort of part of that organization that we're allowed to get to. So from the president to the publisher to, you know, um, uh, sort of the design team that's already in place sometimes or the advertising team, the printer, everybody who's involved in this, we're talking to. Um, and it's actually really interesting because um, like with a magazine, like let's say for Peer, which is for Salvation Army or um, for a magazine that we did um, for a college up in um, Illinois for Wheaton, like we got to actually talk to students. So we got to, we got to really hear from them like what it was about the organization that they connected with. And I think the thing that I have seen time and again is that as much as you think that you're connected and you're in sort of your vertical space, like if you're a designer, you think I've got, I know what's going on. Or if I'm the president, I know what makes our audience tick. But really each person is siloed into their like little channel. So from a, pre from a president's perspective, they're really concerned with alumni and giving and making sure that that's happening. And the designer is really concerned with, well, is this, are we, are we solving the problems to this particular article? And so when we come in, we get to see sort of all sides in sort of this little 360 mode. And it's amazing how many insights we gain and what that leads to in the end. And it actually leads to this, like this thing that they haven't, they haven't thought of because you know, and you're when you're in a place for a while, you sort of become a little institutionalized, and mm -hmm. you like you figure out like, well, this is what works and this is what doesn't work, and that's a real challenge to getting to. Well, what do we need to get at in order to be innovative, in order to be uh, reflexive to our audience, to really what they're concerned with, and so that process leads to a lot of insights that ultimately get converted into like the size of the magazine, the pacing of the magazine the photography to the magazine, new ideas for the magazine. And it really right. does set up everyone to think, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Right. And, th and that, by the way, is exactly how I do it too. Spending mm -hmm. time. I think one of, one of the most fruitful discovery days I had was at F Furman University. I redid their magazine uh -huh. a couple of years back. And um, <laughs> I found that they had a wonderful histori historian in their librarian. Uh -huh. And she pulled out so much fascinating material. And um, it actually brought so much more texture to the magazine. Mm -hmm. um, old poems, wh whatever it was. It was like, mm -hmm. here's who, again, past, present, and future. Who's who, mm -hmm. Here's what you were. Here's the core ideal of who you were then. Now mm -hmm. let's, bring it in, you know, let's, let's bring it into the present and the future. So yeah. it was. It was very, very, very uh, fun, and I'll never forget that day. It was. It was tremendous, and even my clients had so much fun too. They're like, "This is so cool!" So it was. Right. It was. It was fun to see them having fun in their own institution. Well, and it's interesting because that's the kind of stuff that I think over time people get tired of or exhausted with, and they want to do something new or different, and so they sort of jump on this kind of cultural zeitgeist train, mm -hmm. and they kind of forget who they are. And so they're calling you up and they're like, yeah, well, we need to redesign, but something's not right. Or, and then you just go back and, and they're always, it seems like 
they want to they want to reclaim who they once were and and remind people of of where they go where they're going and it's all based on you know how they got established for the most part and that's where if you're if you can see sort of the writing on the wall there or look back you can really come up with some really wonderful new ways of of repackaging where who they are and um, sort of recontextualizing that for a modern audience. Exactly. And it's really fun and rewarding, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now this, this um, brings me to the business of business. Um, <laughs> you know, how do, how do you, well, first of all, I think what we're talking about assures, well, I hope that will assure people that there is a lot of room for some good consultants out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that brings me to the question of, how do you find your clients for the most part? Yeah. Um, well, I wish I could say, sorry, everyone. I wish I could say that we did this amazing job and we were just on top of that. But, you know, this is, I, I this, but this might be the place where I feel like we, we just don't do a, a great job. And that is we're so sort of like, concern with solving the problems for the folks that are already in that are that have already committed to us that we're working on those and then things just it just is like word of mouth and it well, always has been that way well that's the best yeah i i feel that way but then you know i i always get like a little as a business owner and sort of entrepreneur i'm like always like turning the cube and i'm sitting in the corner like a little nervous and a little crazy eyed going yeah but don't we need to be out there? Like, don't we need to be knocking on doors? Don't we need to be like letting people know that we exist and that mm-hmm. kind of a thing? And, and, um, and that can be kind of crazy making, especially if you're on your own and you've, you started something and, you know, you, you, we, you know, we don't use like Salesforce and, you know, we don't have like some big tracking system. And, you know, I oh, think, believe me, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the nervousness, the, yeah, the twitchy, right? the twitchy eye. Yeah. twitchy yeah and so uh, yeah. you have to be you kind of have to be careful about like being blown around you know by sort of the whims of like what's happening day to day and really be centered on you know believing in what you're doing and that the people that you're working with are the people that you need to be working with and if yeah. we're about like building relationships like at mentally like we're concerned our, our it took us 20 years to get here but our sort of two core values are relationships and creativity and, you know, those are big buckets, but, you know, if we're not, if we're not taking care of the people that are, that are already in the door, then we're failing them and we're failing the relationship side of that. And well, that's why um, you get your word of mouth, which is really right, some of the right. best, most, I would say in my experience, some of the most meaningful work comes that mm-hmm, way because people mm-hmm. already believe in you. There's, there's not so much of a selling and a scratching even deeper into the surface, looking for problems. They kind yeah, of just yeah. already come going, oh, we know you know what you're doing because, mm-hmm. because we've seen it, we've heard it, and blah, blah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's actually um, – there's something that I think you have to decide when you're doing like what we're doing. And I think that creatives – so I work with my wife, and she's, she's the business side. And we have this sort of like t- little bit of a tug of war around who do we want to be and – I would say that we err on what I want for, for Meta Leap, which is I want to be king. And there's sort of two ways of looking at this. Like, do you, do you want to be rich or do you want to be king? 
And I think that with the King side of it is, you know, there is deep relationship and value. There's wisdom that you're, that you're sort of learning and you're passing along to clients and to your team. There's mentoring. There's like this, this kind of little kingdom that you're, you're caring for and you're sort of like making sure that it's all moving forward. And, um, and then I think on the other side of it, and I think that there's a lot of idealism that sits in that space. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, as a creative, you know, I, that's what I, 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 I sort of just air toward, you know, and, um, you know, I think when you work with business people like my wife, you know, that's where that, that struggle is. And I think, you know, where do you, where is your day-to-day job? Like, where are you getting all that value from? And I, I tell people like, look, we're not going to be millionaires just so you know, um, <laughs> but we're getting, but we're going to get to do some really great work. And if you value solving problems and creativity, then this is the place for you. Well, personally, I like to say, never say never. Because <laughs> I don't like to shut that that I'll be a millionaire someday door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's probably a, but I get that's it. Probably a healthier I get it. place. Yeah. I get it. Um, and what have you ever had a a favorite client type, or put it another way, a client you just couldn't get along with? I mean, you're such a oh likable, lovely, warm person. I would find uh, that hard to believe it if it ever well, happened but see this is that's a good question i'm going to ask the same question of you too but, oh dear god so <laughs> Go be <ahead>. thinking um <laughs> okay no no but i think like i tend to have my biggest area of difficulty would be when people just don't listen um or they're unwilling to listen or they are they're on the path to becoming rich and they're you missing. Mean they think so they're on the path, or they're they think on the they're, maybe they maybe they think that they're on that path, uh-huh. and they um, like in the beginning they're all about yeah 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 this is going to be great and creative and it's going to be wonderful and I need all that and then they get to a point where they're sort of exhausted with that and they're like okay well when are we gonna when are the results coming when is this all going to happen when's the payoff and mm-hmm. um, you know and I think that this is that's kind of a game that is that's that's a tough place to be in um and it can it can make people a little bit exasperated so um Mm -hmm. and that's a numbers game it's not really a kind of broader voice campaign Mm -hmm. mindset yep yep so i think that's where i i tend to have uh challenging or disruptive places to you know like relationships Mm -hmm. uh okay what about what about you carla What would you like to know, Jose? <laughs> well, you know, are there sort of client traits that you sort of rub up against that you're like, oh, I don't know. This is, this is like bristling or, you know, this is going to be a tough one. Of course. I mean, I I think some of my longtime magazine life, um, <laughs> it kind of, it kind of taught, you know, I'm used to shooting from the hip. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not used to reinventing the wheel with a client all the time. So I've had to get used to that, meaning inventing a relationship or tending mm-hmm. to it more. So sometimes I, my own fault, you know, I just sort of act as if I'm in house. <laughs> so, yeah, and I'm not yeah. saying anything bad. It's just a matter of we're a team here, right? <laughs> let's yeah, let's talk right. to each other. You know, frankly, I'm not, I'm not rude by any means, but sometimes they're not, uh, they're not prepared for that or that's not how they work. Or, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. or, and then you're like, oh, let me reel back there for a second. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me just explain the context of this, which I, you know, didn't have to do in magazine uh-huh. land. 
but um that is something i've been working on of course to mm-hmm. try to understand their culture more and right to that culture um and as far as a client personality type i would say about the same as you whether they they're hiring you but not listening to you and mm-hmm. so there's a great frustration on both ends. And then you have to wonder why they hired you in the first place. Yeah, that's uh, right. But, but sometimes it turns out literally that they, they're throwing spaghetti at the wall and you're a piece of spaghetti. And if that, <laughs> if that works or it doesn't work, they'll just move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that depends on the earnestness of, of the client and, and the deep understanding of a client. And I was just telling someone today, he was asking me for to help him find large investors in a certain type of company. And, you know, I've learned that investors, just like clients, when they actually understand the process, they're the best clients and the same with Mm -hmm. investors. Meaning if they invest in a company or or a genre or a trade that they have no experience in, they're usually not the best partners for the brand. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I've right, seen a right. lot of weird, you know, like weird seduction happen that way. Like, oh, it's just such a romantic idea. And mm-hmm. there's all sorts of problems about not asking the right questions and yeah. getting into trouble. And so you can, you know, spin that to the client side. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So ideally, there are clients who sort of understand what you do. And I think in my case, I've done so many things that it's hard for me to tell them, <laughs> oh, I understand architecture. I understand manufacturing. I understand <laughs> engineering. Yeah. And I mean, for me, it's fun because I can really think through a lot of problems, but um, you know, it's just telling people who you are and helping them understand mm-hmm. each other, yep, you know? Yep. So I also have to ask the right questions. Yeah. Wow, that's that's good. There's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, you know, you said something about this sort of weird seduction, and I just first of all, I wrote it down because I'm like, ooh, I want to use that. Like, I need to write that. I need to make sure I use that somewhere. But it's um, a dangerous seduction because, and it's not necessarily the seller's fault or the buyer's mm-hmm, fault. Mm-hmm. It just is kind of like where their head is, or, or yeah. what culture is telling them to do too. Right. Well, and I think that you can sort of you could you can be seduced on the creative side because what they're saying is maybe I'm not like maybe in a unit walking away going, maybe I don't like so much of kind of let me this individual, but I really like what they're trying to do. And it's different. And because you're curious and you want to do something different and expand sort of how you think and work Mm -hmm. that you're willing to take a risk there. And, you know, this is a place where we've really gotten burned too. And over the years we've just said, Hey, we're not going to be anybody's first agency because so much education has to happen and training and sort of handholding that it actually, um, it ends up always kind of like biting us in the end. Yes. I I, I get that. I get that. And that's a great, I was going to call it a tidbit, but that's bigger than a tidbit. That's a great piece Mm. of learning for all of us. Um, And I would agree with you. It's very difficult to lead a startup. I mean, I've, I've been in a bunch of startups, the most successful experiences were startups within a corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are my ideal situation. Absolutely. But when you're working mm-hmm. with a startup uh, with, without a big budget and not a lot of knowledge, it's extremely difficult to have a su- yeah. successful, successful outcome. And I mm-hmm. tend to limit my 
um, engagement. Because there's also a certain point where you're like, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna work with me, I, I know how to do this, and so mm, I need yeah, to yeah. show you a big strategy. And if they can't pay for a big strategy, then what's the point? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's sort of like that. But good good bit of learning you just shared there. Yeah. Well, I mean, likewise. Um, well, I mean, I feel like we probably need to uh, keep this combo going because there's still a lot of little things that we want to talk about. But I like um, we had talked some about like you know, this next space idea that it's not just about platforms, you know, it's about culture. That's right. That's right. And, and yeah, I'd love to share a little bit about, you know, I mean, I collect trends for, for my clients Mm -hmm. in the fields that I specialize in. And so I'm always studying them. And, you know, part of this is also innovation, which, um, Mm -hmm. why don't we just jump back to that after I kind of go into these trends. And so platform wise, you know, as you just said, it's not always about a platform or a piece of technology. It's about where culture is, what humans are thinking and doing in any given society that you're working in. And right now, I think cultural optimism is coming back, which is makes me so happy because, mm-hmm. and when you think that we're in a new decade, um, when you think of where we were when we started the 2010s, we had just had a terrible financial recession, the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. And there was a great deal of uncertainty and, and really it was a perfect storm in our business mm-hmm. uh, or in, in the corporate publishing business. And so it was a giant upset. And I feel like there are new paths that have been paved and, and, and hopefully all this technology is actually helping our lives. Um, so that, and of course the economy is doing well right now. Um, mm-hmm. But Trending wise on how we communicate with each other, um, I think personalized everything will be coming more and more into play anywhere from analog experiences like, you know, personalized messages on paper to the other extreme, which is hologram technology that can happen in your own apartment or in your office. Mm -hmm. Um, So you and I could actually be looking at representations of each other in 3D um, just like Star Trek, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and and that that will be easy, and I think mm-hmm. that'll be very very interesting to see how mm-hmm. that changes. And and it may be that I, if I designed a piece of furniture, I can debut that to you, right? In, right. in real life, you know, time, I mean, in time and space, in a way that you can mm-hmm. feel and look at that and walk around it, perhaps. Yeah. So that is utterly cool. And then I I also think like marketing to more tight knit groups instead of huge mass audiences will come into fashion, um, mm. partly because of this customized thing or this uh, personalized everything idea, but also because we want to feel like we're a little bit more special and a little bit more um, niched down, let's say. We're not part mm-hmm. of a mass um, audience. And, you know, the same thing. Um, marketing can can be transitioned into AI artists that are going to emerge with this new relationship between technology and machines and creativity mm-hmm. and machines. And so this will become infinitely more human. Even robots yeah. will have me- much more emotion and be able to express that in extremely sophisticated ways. And then additionally, time will become more flexible and more fluid. 
And the interesting thing about this is when I thought about it, magazines are still like that. They're, mm-hmm. You can pe- pick them up when you want to. You can put them down when you want to. You can start in the middle if you want to. Mm-hmm. And they used to come out periodically, which is why they were called periodicals. <laughs> uh-huh. And then they started to come out monthly, weekly, daily, who knows. But magazines actually fit very much into this trend. And I think paper, a, a comeback of paper will kind of work in that way. Mm-hmm. Even if it's more an you know, higher priced product with a more object style to it. It'll be yeah, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And well, so I the, mean, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's exactly what we saw after 2008 and 2009, where so many magazines shuttered, including Pace magazine, which is mm-hmm. what you know I started doing. I love Pace. Oh, and, oh, thanks. Thank you. Um, but I mean, even after that, it was, wait, are magazines going to even be around anymore? Is print dead? And that's when we started really kind of like looking towards technology to solving a lot of things. And then it, it kind of gave permission to a lot of these niche titles to come out to basically do the things that the big guys weren't doing and yes. longer indie form titles. storytelling, yeah. indie titles. And it was mm-hmm. like, all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, how's this even happening? And so that was really exciting. And so I think if we can continue to innovate in that space, then, or if there are groups that were, you know, uh, you know, who we work for, our clients, or maybe the title that we're already working on, you know, and think about what are we, what, what could we be doing that is, you know, optimistic, culturally optimistic, let's say, it has a purpose, has a mission to it. Maybe it's not just about um, sort of giving you the one, two, three, or what's happening right now, but could it be uh, sort of longer form? more luxurious storytelling about um, a particular channel that you talk about at your magazine that's more in-depth that you wouldn't have spent in your monthly, but you might spend in a quarterly. Um, and so right. I, think there's, I think there's room here to continue to expand and that for those that we work with to think about growing their audiences means personalization. I think that's right. And also, um, there will, in my opinion, there'll be backlashes on distraction and, of course, data mm-hmm. privacy. Yeah, so magazines, again, but magazines, again, already have, if you, if you buy them from the newsstand, you mm-hmm. just pay, use your Apple Pay and walk away, you know, mm-hmm. or, or however you want to do that. But, you know, that they have privacy built in, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's an interesting retro future idea. Now, I will say indie titles are subject to the same problems that all magazines were, and many have shuttered. For but, sure. But here's a beautiful point. There's more very fine content, high-quality, well-researched, well-presented content is in demand more than ever now. And that that's mm-hmm. a great backlash to the, you know, we're going to fire all our copy proofers and mm-hmm. we don't care. Yeah. We want the sound bites to be two seconds long. And mm-hmm. so that is wonderful. I'm very culturally mm-hmm. optimistic about that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then that your, your point leads us back to the innovation conversation. And I'm okay. kind of curious about, about how you innovated at MetaLeap Creative and also personally Oh, um, yeah. Uh, let's see. How do we in- innovate at Metalit Creative? Um, well, I think, 
we're a little bit of a microcosm of the world that we see around us. And I think for me, kind of in my journey of wanting to, using that metaphor from earlier about wanting to be king rather than being rich, you know, for me, it's, it's about like, what are we, what are we making and how does it add value to the community around us? How does it add value to our clients? How, what, what's our story? What's our mission? You know, it's like, um, you know, you can want to be friends with people and really tight friends, but you really don't, you really don't form those friendships or camaraderie unless there's like a mission, unless you're like sort of going on a journey together. Um, or you've sort of been quote unquote in sort of in battle together, whether it's like you're working on a magazine closely together and you've built this sort of rich camaraderie or um, in sort of in your own personal life, you know, you've gone through challenges and so with somebody else. And so they've proven that, you know, they can be a trusted, a trusted advisor. And I think similarly, you know, at Metal Leap, you know, I really, yeah, there's a lot of idealization of like kind of how a workplace can be. But like, I kind of almost wouldn't want it any other way because I want there to be real value. Like when we spend, the majority of our life is spent sleeping and working. And if where we're working isn't providing new space for like growing, uh, growing out of the old, growing into the new, new ideas, innovation, um, leaving sort of old behind, putting on the new, then I really feel like, you know, then what? then what are we doing at work? Um, and that's where the king part comes in because what I have found, it's like, you know, money's great, but really people are looking for so much more. And I think that speaks directly to the big challenge that we see in sort of like the next space as we talk about personalization and communication. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why do people follow other people? You know, why does Taylor Swift have 40 something million followers? And, and why is it that she can call them into action at any moment to come on her side? And, you know, and it's not because, you know, she's made them rich. It's because she's enriched their lives and, you know, they trust her. And I think in many ways, that's kind of how we see our little team, you know, here in Atlanta, which is we have a responsibility to one another uh, to do the best work that we can to mentor one another, but also like, what are we adding to our community? And so like the clients we take on, that's really important to us and what they're doing and what they're sort of brand building. And are they ambassadors? Are they creating good into the world or are they not? And that's a real important sort of decision-making uh, place for us. And uh, I mean, that's just a little bit of sort of the things that we are trying well, to do here. Well, I, this is one of the reasons I love talking to you. I think you're very forward thinking and very um, smart and philosophical about, your workplace and you left out I think a really big one which was that you tell me about taking (laughs) time with your family each year oh um yeah that's that is something that early on like when when Nicole and I got married we loved traveling and we were but we were hugely in debt and we had to figure out a way to get out of college debt and like you know, we didn't even have jobs when we got married. Like it was crazy. And um, love does the strangest things. <laughs> it does. And I can't even believe my parents were like, oh, sure. They, nobody said anything. Like, what? Like, if my kids right now, you know, if they were 18, I'd be like, no, there's no way this is happening. But, um, you know, so I think, you know, when we got together, we just sort of had these shared things that we love to do. And so that, 
but that kind of planted this little seed of how do we do this in life? Like, how are we going to do this when we live in a culture that does not, that does not see that as an important thing and um, really want you to be working as much as possible and to be as productive as possible. And we quickly sort of over the years um, just said, you know, maybe we need to be doing this together. Maybe we need to be working together so that we can do this other thing. And so, cause that was something that we wanted to give our kids ultimately. But wait, what is, is that other thing? Yeah. Well, we wanted to do, we wanted to be able to travel together. Yeah, but how long saw, do you do it each, each year? Well, in the beginning, it was like these little baby steps, but I think our dream was to say, could we take four to five weeks off every year and you do, and that go now, do this you? thing? Yeah. Well, we, we do, we've been able to do it, I think, um, like every other year, um, and on off years, you know, like maybe two or three weeks, but which I know is still a lot of time. And it's not, think, it's brilliant. Well, Absolutely well, I, brilliant. Well, you know, I, I always want to be conscious of, you know, just knowing that, you know, that's not everybody's situation. And, and I think, you know, for us, that's, we wanted to make sure we made space for us to be creative because that's when we're our most creative. We think, I think is when we're well, out of our context and right. sort of walking around and looking and doing something completely different. Well, also you and I love to travel. Um, we know mm -hmm. that about each other and that's yeah. partly why we really enjoy each other. We've seen a yeah, lot of the yeah. world and I, in my experience, we don't have it all figured out here in the U S mm -hmm. by any stretch. Um, and so these cultures that do have four and five weeks off a year, mm -hmm. are they less productive? The answer is no, for the right. most part. And are they more, are they happier? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so we've learned from our travels too, that this is a really valuable idea. I think you're yeah. so smart to, to, um, do it whenever you can, um, each year. It's just, it's just wonderful. And now oh, your thanks. phone will be ringing off the hook with everyone saying, yeah. I want to look at work in Italy, creative, <laughs> including me. Hi. <laughs> oh. Well, hey, welcome to the team, Carla. Hey, thanks well, a lot. Welcome to have you. <laughs> I like Nicole. Oh. She's great. Um, uh, anyway, I think it's just wonderful. And well, thanks, um, I thanks. think you also offer a sabbatical every five years to some of the people who are long-term yeah. with you. Is that right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's sort of the that was sort of the thing because it was like, you know, we felt like it's not enough. Like it, it's great for us, right? Like we're owners, we own this thing. And it's one thing to go, like, we're going to go and do this. But like that wasn't, there was not any sort of equanimity that mm -hmm. we saw in that. And so it was like, well, if we see the value in this, why wouldn't we do this for everybody else here? And, you know, that was something that we got, we built up to. And then, you know, now it's like, yeah, I mean, we happily do this because we see just how much sort of fruit that it bears. And, um, so like every five years, if you're here, you know, that's something that we, we make space for, we pay for, and because we see so much value in it. And I mean, I gotta say, I mean, there are people who have never been out of the country who have gotten to take advantage of, you know, the sabbatical and, you know, we tell everybody like you have to travel. And I know that's our little thing. Not everybody is a traveler, but we see like, we see so much value in getting out of your context Oh, it's, um, it's, it's absolutely so, imperative, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's just been awesome. So we've been able that's to do a, that, and it's been so much fun. It's really impressive. And again, thoughtful, philosophical, and I, I give you a round of applause for that. That's oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. Thanks. Um, so let's, let's, I think that's innovative. 
um, in this in this cultural context. I know everybody's wanting it, and people are doing more and more, mm-hmm. uh, or companies are giving more and more work at home time and more flex time and paternity mm-hmm. leave, and all this is great. But you've been doing this for a while, for a while and I think it's very innovative and. And I'm retro, retro innovation too. Retrograde innovation, right? <laughs> retro <about>. future. <laughs> yes. Retro future. Yeah, I love the retro future idea. Um, but, and I do that too. I mean, I'm obviously, I put together teams as I need them modularly, mm-hmm. but innovative framework is, is also what I build into companies. And um, there are a few things I've discovered, which I think you're doing, which is why I'm so impressed. Mm-hmm. And you know, some of those, some of the things I found that work that you can really help people with is um, putting people into small teams um, mm-hmm. and listening, making sure that everyone has time to talk and listen yep. and making sure that there's a common thread, whether pe- some people knew each other before or the leader of that team knew each, you know, one or two of those people before um, just to, so you could introduce people to each other. And, and help mm-hmm. them form new bonds. And also um, making sure that who's ever on that team has diverse skill sets, because if you get people with the same skill right. sets, you're having a trampling effect on each other, you know, and mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't really lead forward. Um, yeah. And I always think of little kids, you know, we've all <laughs> worked or had them or, you know, <laughs> have them in our families. And you, uh-huh. I'm always amazed when you talk about drawing with a little child. Mm-hmm. they all of a sudden can draw an octopus and they've never drawn one before. <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, that's so genius. How did you learn to do that? And because they have to learn to draw first and move, you know, eye-hand coordination. And um, But it's, it's honestly usually sort of a breakdown that they learn, like you draw an oval for the head or a triangle for the body and then you mm-hmm. put on, you know, finger like, you know, or curly, curly cues for legs. And, you know, the faces that they put on are so fascinating. Anyway, mm-hmm. the point is, at that point, they're not worried about being judged. They just, right, they have right. that freedom to explore. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's part of what travel does is part of what good design firms do is part of what any good company yeah. does. And if you don't innovate now, you will not make it. And, right. you know, as a, for instance, if I hear, uh, too big to fail one more time <laughs> all you have to do is hold up you know news headlines over the last years mm-hmm. um it, it's just history it just yep and, and that will not go away so anyway it's so much fun to talk about all this stuff and um and we can keep going because <laughs> <But laughs> we we're keep, really we good at that going. i know we <laughs> yes, can keep on going or we could have cocktails we get, yes, <laughs> too bad you're in Atlanta and I'm here, here in New York. But um, we have a couple. I have a couple more questions for you, actually. All right, let's do um, it. Let's see. So let me let me just toss back the question. Uh, maybe we've covered some of this, so you can say for for people who haven't had the branding experience and been out in the mm-hmm. world doing what we're doing with a variety of clients. You know, do you have any other recommendations for them, or where do you? You know, how do you see them going to the next phase? Um, wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, well, I do. 
you know, I guess, I guess part of it is maybe some advice would be, you know, what is it you're, what is it you want to go and do? Like, what is it you're trying to make? Um, you know, for me, I wanted to create something that was uh, very intentional, that was small enough that there was a lot of personal interaction, that it was, you know, that I was being sort of fulfilled in that and that uh, the team was being fulfilled in that. And that meant I didn't want to make something that was hugely scalable or I don't want to become the next, you know, massive agency. And so I think like knowing who you want to be, like knowing who you are really. That's and great let, advice. And letting, and letting that sort of guide like and mm-hmm. dictate what are the, what are the, like the first things for you, like one, two, and three, and then keep it simple, you know? So if you're a publication designer and you're sort of like done with the game and you really want to get involved in sort of branding, then that means, uh, you know, you have to take some risks, you know, and you might have to, uh, you, you might not just fall right into that Warby Parker, the next Warby Parker gig. And, you know, that's just this elusive unicorn that just lives out there. And I think we're all hoping for it, but it, it's just like, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really work that way. I, in my experience, mm-hmm. um, but I think if you've got these sort of first things, then you can sort of be more of a realist about it. And maybe it's you know being willing to like help help a company along, or you know seek that out and and begin to work on that. Or maybe it's even like taking a job somewhere else so that you can learn some you know get some of those experiences under your belt and sort of better understand that world. I mean. Mm-hmm. I I agree. And I think, you know, so much in life is about showing up for what you're passionate for. So Mm -hmm. knowing who you are and what you love, you know, whether, whether it feels like I don't see a window on how I'm going to make my career here. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you love food or cooking and you keep showing up to events around that, you'd be Mm -hmm. surprised what happens when, you know, the first, the first gig might be a volunteer job, but just keep showing up and listening yeah. and hearing and meeting people. And, you know, uh-huh. I think a lot of my gigs have actually happened that way. It's because I'm interested in so many things. First of all, I, mm-hmm. I always show, I show up to a lot of places, <laughs> but um, you are a little bit of a mover and shaker. I mean, I, well, thank you. That's a huge compliment, but it's, <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, sh- I show up no matter where it is in the world. It's sort of crazy, but um, I also think sometimes, you know, taking classes, um, mm-hmm. like just exploring that way is empowering. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also one of the things, you know, which, which I look for in companies is content because that's what mm-hmm. we we're so good with content. All of us. Yeah. It's like, do you have enough stories to tell? Because if you have to tell one story over and over again and sell one thing over and over again, Mm-hmm. it's it's not going to hold your attention likely and also it probably won't last right, so right. when i launched the healthy beverage i co-founded that one of the reasons i went forward with it is because there was so much content there were just for example there were multiple drinking occasions um the ingredients to talk about which were all natural the ancient mm-hmm. history of the original form of the drink the the drinking programs involved exercise to sleep to cocktail programs mm-hmm. so I could develop the cocktails and shoot, you know, yeah. shoot them and, and share recipes and, and also smoothies. Um, mm-hmm. But so, and so there were 
um, there was just so much content to celebrate. And of course, the, the core ingredient was honey. So when you have honey, you have bees, which are, mm-hmm. there are magical stories around bees and honey. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a, a, such a joy for me, that content. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. it was like, now is the time, you know, it's time to be yeah, with yeah. that. And it was also delicious. So um, it's, you know, those were the, some of the criteria that I was looking for. Yeah, I think that's a really good point um, is, you know, is this the content that you're interested in? Um, right. And I, I think, I think a lot of times, like I find myself talking to young people and I mean, when I look back at, you know, when I was, you know, just getting out of college, I really just wanted a job and I really well, you didn't know, was, right. You and you don't know that you're going right? to have a you career. Right. You know, that could last 25 years or something. Right. And you don't really realize that the decisions that you're making then are, are going to, unless you are so intentional, they are going to dictate all of your future moves. And so like when you get that job and you decide, oh yeah, I'm going to move to, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio, because there's an amazing job there. Well, chances are that that's going to, it might just be where you end up and you ended up there because of this first job. And so like, where is it that you want to be? Where do you want to grow? Um, what's going to be able to provide, you know, uh, opportunity for growth, I think. And that's across everything. Um, and I wish, like, I wish that I had thought about that, you know, getting out of college. But, you know, of course, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And so you like, oh, yeah, it was all, it all happened for a reason, or it, ha- it all happened. And it, it's the way it ought to have been. And, but I, I do sometimes go, you know, if I had, if we had been a little bit more thoughtful, maybe things could be a little bit different, but I definitely don't, I don't regret know. any of that stuff, you know? I know. You know okay. I mean, it, I think the, um, I mean, certain things happen that, that are thoughtless, you know, just right. because of circumstances yeah. perhaps, but also they inform the future. If, even if it's not the right thing for you, you know what you don't want to do. Mm. Um, yeah, right. And I, I was just you know, listening to the Patty Smith book, Just Kids. And mm-hmm. before all this technology, and of course, long before that era, you know, a lot of things just happened. And you, but she had a she had an internal convic- conviction that she wanted to be an artist. She had mm-hmm. no idea how to be an artist, <laughs> so she yeah, kept yeah. showing up. And you know, she got she she was so passionate about that one idea. She just kind of kept falling into the right um, places at the, at the right time. Mm-hmm. And developed her craft as well in a variety of ways. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to think about how life goes, but it's it's uh, it can be steered, even if not in the beginning. You know, that's true. That's true. That's true. I I think it'd be fun to ask each other some random closing questions. So can I do right. you first? Oh sure, let's do it. Okay. Uh-huh. So so what is your favorite typeface? Um. Favorite typeface is, I think it, it, it right now, at least for the couple of, past couple of years, is uh, Schneider, and um, it was uh, typeface designed for T Magazine. Gotcha. And uh, it just kind of it's, I love it. Uh, I love that it sort of has this horizontal and sort of it can be spread out a little bit and mix and match. But I think what I love most about it is that it's just sort of timeless, and there's a lot about it that's just sort of beautiful, and it feels. It's so thoughtful, mm-hmm. and I definitely I find myself gravitating to just 
wanting everything to be thoughtful and there's a reason for it and it has a place and it's not it's not extraneous um and i definitely feel that way about typefaces so i love uh, that yeah so yeah, yeah we're in the I, same I, have, I have love affair with schneider for <laughs> sure it's great yeah. um okay what is your favorite music genre i figured since you did paste you're the perfect person uh, uh well it would be jazz for sure 100 percent. oh yeah like yep that's it is there a type of jazz uh well anything that took place i mean i i, I like i like a lot of well okay let me be very careful here because this could be a very divisive subject um so there's like a time period between sort of the late 40s to all the way up to like 1958 1960 that's like kind of the sacred place Mm-hmm. especially in the fifties, um, just so much came out. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of like the sweet decade that I love. Um, but there's some really great artists right now, like Kamasi Washington, that's just doing some amazing stuff. You know, it's so funny that that era that you just placed in time, 48 to 60s, mm-hmm. I can almost see the typography when, with <laughs> ja- you know, you just, it just comes yeah. right to mind. Mm-hmm. Well, there's so many classic album covers that were just using typography. I know, um, you know, so, all right, let's hear it. What's, uh, what's your favorite brand? Oh God, <laughs> that was the hardest question of all. I think, well, I, I don't know that I can name a brand, but I think a brand has to be able to be physically touched or, or affect us physically in some way. And then, you know, mentally have us buy into it with its beauty or its, Again, it's a fact. And then mm-hmm. solve problems for us, make our lives easier. So I guess the finest example I can think of is Apple. Since I have like mm-hmm. 20 Apple products mm-hmm. sitting right in front of me. Right, um, right. I, well, that's I, just because you have to have Apple product. You're like, what's one or the other, right? So you have I don't to have to have all these iPods and watches. and <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't have to have all that, but I love them. I think they're exceptional. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I also love the Steve Jobs character and everything he did and mm-hmm. and the feel of the phone. Um, mm-hmm. It's still something. I, I, th- I probably pretty much think about that every day, which is mm. impressive. I can't think of many other brands I interact with wow, so much. Wow. Okay, what would you recommend designers read right now? Or what? maybe even better yet, maybe like, what are you reading right now? Oh, gosh, I'm reading so many things. Um it's, it's like a myriad. I mean, I have a list of reading that's incredible. And my coffee table is stacked. Um, of course. So I would say, I mean, I'm reading everything from t- Sever's 25th anniversary issue, which I worked on. I mean, that started and helped mm. to start the magazine. To um, Women in Food, Women Writers on, on Food. Mm. And, um, you know, so much online. But one, some of the things I go back to that I would say are all-time classics are... Anything from George Lois and anything from Paul Rand. Oh, I mean, the, uh-huh. you know, if, if you go back to this over and over again, like you would to philosophers. Oh, and by the way, I'm, I'm reading um, Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. Which, right. Which you is, mentioned this before. Yeah, I did. And it's, it's incredibly balancing because I'm trying to be less distracted this year mm. um, and focus on really big picture ideas and ideals. And so I find that George Lois and Paul Rand both have this wonderful writing style and can bring out probably the best in creatives. Mm. 
in, in a variety of ways. Yeah. They're kind of now, law, you, like little laws to live by. Right. Well, I mean, are you like, are you saying that George Lewis and Paul Rand, are you putting them up there in sort of like the Marcus Aurelius category? This well, is a trick question. It's a dangerous no, question. I mean, that's a really hard, yeah, that, that would be a dangerous comparison for okay. sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had the same notion. Um, was I doing that? But I think, um, no, there's just, there's just certain people that have proven over time that their ideals and approaches are extremely valuable regardless mm. of time. Yep. You know, and so it generates innovation. It generates excitement. It generates new ways of thinking that are deeply focused. Yeah, yeah. But in all That's cases, good. so. All right. That's awesome. Thanks. Um, okay. Uh, I am writing all those down. And I'm going <laughs> to do more reading. My, my night table is going to fall on me in the middle of the night and kill me. <laughs> It's just just enjoy it. That's the point, I think. Yeah, right. Enjoy them all. Find the time to just enjoy it. Um, okay, and you're, you have a favorite magazine? Oh, no pressure. No pressure. Who put that on there? Um, uh, somebody. Yeah. Um, I don't. Keisha I really did. don't. <laughs> Blame it all on Keisha. Mm -hmm. um, no, I don't. But what I'll say to that is I do have, you know, there are magazines and editors and art directors who not only chronicle time, a culture, but they create it. And I think mm -hmm. that those are the finest people that we can work with or that we've encountered. And, you know, some of those people are like, um, you know, old Condé Nast, Alex Lieberman, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, they just sort of, again, turned the world on its ear and, and it was a little bit, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, um, a little bit like preceding eighties punk ripped paper mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it was a bit edgy, but it was still always very sophisticated. Yeah, and, yeah. and I mean, there's just so much beauty to, and freshness to what they did. Mm -hmm. And then Alexi, um, uh, uh mm -hmm. um, was just another genius. Yeah, you're taking us back. You're taking us back. There. Well, it's because it never failed. You know, it, mm -hmm. it, these people are just geniuses. Yeah. And then even in the in the editor category, you've got to throw in founders and and people like Henry mm -hmm. Bruce Luce Booth to um, Grayton and Carter to Adam Moss at New York Magazine. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way Adam mm -hmm. could do take the same city and break it down into not only blocks as if they were new neighborhoods, uh -huh. block by block, go deep and, and study that as its own culture. Mm -hmm. um, but it always seemed new. And, yeah. and it could also capture a kind of um, curious elite New York mindset. Because mm -hmm. we, we've seen so much, we've done so much in New York. And, and so he was always pushing that. Yeah. And it was it was positively genius. I will miss him so much. Mm. Um, and so those are the people who who create magazines that mm. that you just have to stand back and go, "Wow, that's genius! Thank you." Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, okay, one last question for you to finish our time together. I'm going to ask you the same obsessing question, and you kind of answered it, but uh, alongside me. But what are you obsessing about? 
I, you know, I would say it's technology because it's, it's a matter of you know, strategy and content and all that will live on. But then mm-hmm. how do you push it out and use a platform very, very well? So we mm-hmm. all have to keep educating ourselves on technology and embracing it. And, and you know, because we're all working, it's like, wow, that can just slip away from you so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't get it on the front end, it's, it's sort of like Instagram. When I run into people who say I never got on it and I was like, you can get on it now if you want to, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that have happened since Instagram launched that are intricate and, yeah. and take time to study. All these things take time mm-hmm. to embrace and figure out the, the kind of personality behind them and who they appeal to and who best to appeal to with them. Yeah. So I guess I'm yeah. always obsessing about technology. And Great. I have well, on my list every day call Apple Care for uh, something. That's <laughs> you so know? funny. Yeah. Um, so that's awesome. that's kind of the current obsession. Well, that's a great that's a great list. And um I know we've been talking for a while here, but I think I think we've covered a lot of territory here and it's been awesome just getting on the phone and talking and over the last couple of months and working with you uh, for SPD 55. That's been awesome. And I uh, really enjoyed, enjoyed that. I hope our listeners um, are going to enjoy this podcast and um, anything else you want to say? Uh, yeah. Thank, thank you for having me. And, and it's always an honor um, to be involved with SPD and as well as, you know, something deep like this, the, the competition and the gala. And I really look forward to, the judging um, mm-hmm. to be amongst our friends and you know community, and um, you know always I hope that people get something out of this. So I think I hope and hope that we brought value and um, that they learned something new. But I, you know, as we said, we could go on talking forever. So let's just stay on the phone after we close out. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to thank everyone for listening to SPDs. Who the f did that? Or in our case, who the F will do that. And please mm-hmm. tune in for upcoming episodes. Thanks, Jose. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Carla. All right. Bye. Bye.